Hello and welcome into another episode of Podcast 63, Season 4, Episode or Season 3, Episode 4, uh, with Buck and Lou here. Um, it's going to be a little different mood of the podcast today for sure. Um, if you guys are like us, uh, I'm sure you're a little bummed by the most recent news uh, about the team. Um, we will definitely be talking about that. Uh, we have a couple, a couple interesting things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, signing day, national signing day. Um, and then we're going to talk about the proposed bubble for the NCAA tournament uh, in March or April or whatever, whenever that might be. Uh, we're going to obviously vent about what's going on right now with the team. And then uh, just a little, and a little light note, we're going to finish off by talking about our favorite Thanksgiving sides. So, um, Lou, what, uh, what's your, what's your uh, dark horse Thanksgiving side that no one talks about and should be talking about? A dark horse side. Yeah. I, like think, I, yeah. I think a dark horse side is roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon. Okay. I, yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about then. So make sure <laughs> to stay tuned, listeners. Uh, and don't forget, go Blurs. He passes out to Hunter. Hunter shoots off the rim. Brown Skipper scores. It's over. It's over. We won. We won the ball game. Viola won the ball game. Oh, we won. 60-58. And welcome back. So, uh, first thing we want to talk about, let's talk about something fun. Um, so, it was National Signing Day or Early Signing Day um, this past week. And we do have some news. Uh, we do have two new players who have signed their uh, letters of intent to attend Loyola University. Uh, they will be coming in uh, next year. Um, so, in the year 2021. Of two players, uh, it is Ty Johnson and Ben Schweiger. Schweiger, uh, we'll have to figure out how to say his Let's name. Let's just say Swagger. I'm just gonna say Swagger. <laughs> I like it. Um, they're both from the area. Um, I know Ty Johnson's from DePaul Prep, and then Swagger uh, is from the suburbs. I'm trying. Yeah, to, I think he's, it's I believe he's from Aurora. I think he's from out there. Yeah, I think it's Wabanzi is the name of the okay. high school. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I'll look that up here now. But um, both. Both really exciting players. Like straight up, I, I'm I'm very excited for both of them. I think these are two guys that, from the beginning of the recruitment, from what I can remember, both said that they really wanted to stay in Chicago. Um, both made it a priority to um, to be to check out the schools in Chicago. And uh, and fortunately for us and for Porter, um, we did our due dil- due diligence recruiting them. Um, uh, Schweiger or Swagger is the taller of the two. Looks like he's about 6'5", 6'6". Um, he really had a quick ascent to um, to being more skilled and more productive past year from his sophomore to his junior year. Um, I think he grew a lot. He got far more athletic, uh, and uh, the opportunity for him in high school, uh, he really took advantage of that. And then Ty Johnson, um, very skilled player uh, from DePaul Prep. More of a point guard, maybe a combo guard. Uh, he's about 6'3", I believe. Um, and uh, there have been some really high praises uh, for him uh, from different player, different people that we've seen on Twitter. Um, he looks like he's going to be a fun player for the, the Ramblers as well. Uh, Lou, you can go ahead and take the floor here and talk about whatever you want to talk about, about signing day or these two guys or, or whatever else. Yeah, no, um, definitely great to see two additional Ramblers join the team. 
Um, I think both guys kind of fit that mold of what Porter likes to work with at Loyola. Um, you can't deny a 6'5", 6'6", kid. Um, I think his height um, and just kind of the way he plays, I think you and I have talked off podcast, is that he's very similar to maybe Tate. Um, and again, his Tate only now is only in the second year in his last year with us. Um, so it's kind of crazy to think. Imagine we had Tate four years, all four years. So I would love to see um, that development. And I hope whoever's been working with Tate is that they would work with um, Swagger that in the same mentality. Um, and then I just love, of course, uh, seeing us pull in from Chicago basketball. Uh, yes, granted, DePaul College Prep, as far as I know, um, isn't a public school, not Simeon, not one of those, but it is great to see another kind of guard come out of Chicago that we have. We're pretty great, and we've done pretty well with the last most recent guard we got right out of the Chicago um, uh, schools, um, and that was, of course, Marquise Kennedy. So it's really exciting. Um, and quite honestly, I would love to see that uh, kind of combo of Marquise and Ty maybe potentially be a duo. Um, as again, is this is um, this is pretty much uh, Keith Clemens' last year, and you kind of saw that he put Marquise uh, Kennedy underneath his wing. So I'd really love to see kind of the two Chicago guards really get along. And again, that's for next year, um, which is really exciting. The one thing I just want to comment on our recruiting is that when you read the like kind of the notes from our press release, is that Swagger mentioned um, the immediate connection with ba- Coach Valentine. And I've always been trying to figure out who um, is our recruiting guy. I know Mullins was a big, big tool in recruiting. Uh, I know he was probably big with at least the Illinois guys. Being a guy who played in the Valley, went to the NCAA tournament himself as a player, and then was a coach. So he was really big with recruiting. So I was always wondering who would step up. And just based off what Swagger said in his quote, he said his connection with Coach Valentine. So I think, Buck, you would appreciate as my, like myself here, figure, finding that coach that's not just Porter that can go out there and kind of do recruiting. And I do think Valentine, not just with his name and his brother, the notoriety from the Bulls, but just um, building that relationship with Loyola basketball is pretty cool to see, I have to say. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, reading what Swagger had to say about joining the program, uh, as well as Ty Johnson. And just to talk a little bit more about Ty, um, so I, I, I was looking for this tweet that I found uh, probably about a week or so ago. Uh, from Rashad Phillips, who uh, in his bio says that he is an NCAA NBA prospect specialist. Uh, he's the owner of Sports Talk 2319, uh, voice of the unheard. I don't know, he, he seems like a, like a local sort of uh, talent specialist uh, for basketball. And he tweeted out um, on November 2nd a picture of him and Ty uh, practicing five years ago. Um, and he says that Ty Johnson is the number one point guard in the city of Chicago. Uh, standing at 6'4", he's wiggly with the ball, explosive and mean. This is us five years ago when his pops brought him to me. He's heading to Loyola next season. He has some Ja Morant tendencies. Get your notebooks out, scouts. Um, Obviously, super high praise. That's super exciting. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, Ja Morant, uh, did he win Rookie of the Year? Yeah, he won won Rookie of the Year. Won Rookie of the Year this uh, this past year out of Murray State, another great mid-major school. Um, there's super high praise. Who knows if he's actually going to be that good? But I, one of the things I actually, from what I, when I watched uh, Ty's recruiting videos, um, I actually really liked how creative he is at facilitating the ball. And I think that's kind of one of the things he might mean here about like Ja Morant tendencies is Ja isn't known for his passing, but he's very creative and he finds guys in, in the right moments. Um, and I think that's what he's trying to say here about Ty. Um, 
he's he's a he I think he is actually like a true point guard. I think he can score uh, when he wants to from what I've seen. Um, he's athletic enough to get up and dunk it. Uh, he's got an okay shot. Um, I think it's kind of like the same as as uh, Kennedy when he was coming out of high school. His shot was okay. You could see it was there, but it definitely needs some help. I think that's the same with Ty. Um, but 6'4", point guard, athletic. Um, as as uh, Rashad Phillips says, mean. I love to see that on the defensive end. Um, I'm, I'm really pumped to, to see Ty come to the program and, and uh, get to work, like you said, with, uh, with Marquise and uh, be uh, Chicago born and raised backcourt in, uh, in Genteel Arena. Um, no, exactly, yeah. But I, I think the one thing we, we have to talk about then, even though these guys, two guys are great, is um, we actually still have a lot of spots to fill. Again, is I think we don't know the answer. Um, t- based off what we want to say of on normal rules, and again, this season is not normal, which we'll go into, um, we would actually need to fill three more spots to be at the full 13 scholarship. Because, um, mm-hmm. again, is right now scholarship players leaving next year because their seniors this year would be Keith, Lucas, Tate, Ahir, and Cam. So that's five guys, and we just recruited two. So technically, three more spots need to be filled. And, again, is we've traditionally gone the J- JUCO route, and it's brought us great things. We have Keith. Um, I believe it was his birthday the other day, Andre Jackson. Uh, he brought great things to our program. So um, JUCO recruiting is not a bad at all turn. Uh, but again, is the reason why I say this is uh, not a normal year is because there's these rumors about, oh, getting another year of eligibility because of COVID and everything, uh, which we, we, we don't know the 100% of the fact, but we can go into later um, with that. But I think a big thing about maybe missed opportunities that I just have to like ask listeners, even a question or even ourselves is, are we doing the right amount of recruiting? We, we do great in Illinois, or at least we could say in the Chicago metro area. Um, again, is I think we lose out on a lot of the top talent because, again, this year there was probably about three guys playing in the city of Chicago that were in the top, like, maybe 60 players. Uh, Max Christie was a guy which who actually played for a recruiting channel that we love, the Illinois Wolves. Um, he went to Michigan State. So there, there are definitely times we're going to miss out on that. Um, but I think it's be intrigued to see um, how we're losing recruiting to, like, certain teams like Kansas State and Iowa State, they, they come out of nowhere and they just come into the Chicago area and take some of these guys and recruit them. So the only question I would love more to see with our program during National Signing Day is to kind of maybe reach for those bet, those kind of high-ranking players. Um, I know one guy, Lewis Lesman, we talked about a while ago. Mm-hmm. He, wasn't, he wasn't like maybe a top 100, but he was up there and he's gone to Harvard. And Harvard's an amazing school, great thing, but you would kind of hope maybe Loyola would have uh, kind of snuck in there, talked him because he is from Evanston. So my only question for Loyola, just recruiting stance is like, are we doing really enough to reach out? I I think we're always kind of conservative with who we give offers to, which is understandable, but I think sometimes that kind of bites us where we don't offer the um, right amount of guys that really gets us that opportunity to, for more commits. Yeah, I definitely think there's room to to grow, like within the recruitment in Chicago specifically, but also like the rest of the state. Like, you know, we should be able to get eyes on guys in like Milwaukee and Indianapolis. Um, I know Indiana's really tough because there's Purdue, there's Indiana, Bloomington, there's Notre Dame, uh, Butler, just to name a few. 
Um, but like there are these other areas like around us that I think we need to expand. And every year there's a guy that comes from Milwaukee. There's a guy that comes from, you know, uh, central Illinois. There's a guy that comes from Indianapolis who is a top 100 guy. It seems like, um, and just to your point, yeah, we, we need to do, we need to do a little better. I think, um, getting Kennedy, Marquise Kennedy was obviously like the biggest one we've had in recent memory. These two guys, Ty and, and Swagger, obviously like still a step in the right direction, but it would have been nice. And maybe that guy's still out there, but it would have been nice to reach to get one. Like the there's a Chris Hodges. This is a big going to University of Wisconsin. Um, you know, like you said, Lesman or Ledman, whatever. Um, it would have been nice to get him too. Um, so I think that there's just so much talent that I think one of these years, I'm hoping we can hit big. Um, and obviously Porter's going to say stuff like, oh, it's not about the stars. It's not about the rankings. It's not. Yeah. Well, like there is a reason that some of these guys are top 100 prospects on multiple, multiple lists is because they should be very good. And one of these years, um, I'm hoping he's able to hit or, you know, the guy that comes after him is able to hit big and get, get a big recruit from, from the area. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think at some later point, we'll probably go into a deep dive on these two two guys, uh, Ty and Swagger, um, and uh, really break down some of their tape. Um, they're both very exciting. I think they both have a high, high ceiling. Um, I think there are some holes to their game, which we'll get into uh, on a different podcast. But um, to Ty and Ben, welcome to the program. Welcome to, uh, to the Blurs. Uh, we hope we're able to see you next year in Gentile. Um, and, uh, I'll be sure to be, to be screaming at you from, from the second deck for sure. Um, uh, Lou, any last thoughts on recruitment, signing day, anything like that? No, always, a pl- uh, just always a pleasure, uh, to have guys join. It's great to see them. Yeah. Lots of exciting times ahead for them for sure. Um, so the next thing we want to talk about is, uh, there's a big March madness update, uh, today from uh, the NCAA themselves. Um, this is from uh, Andy Katz, I believe, that he just tweeted out a picture that the NCAA is relocating their 2021 Division I uh, championship sites, which is March Madness, um, and that they're going to, they're recommending that the NCAA tournament should be held in a single geographic area. Um, and as a result, the NCAA staff are in, in talks with the state of Indiana and the city of Indianapolis to host the 68-team tournament around the uh, area during the coordinated dates in March and April. Um, lots of interesting things here to break down. Um, my first thing that I'm seeing is the dates of it, like March and April. They're still sticking to that, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and I, I hate to bring in like the bigger world picture here, but it sounds like that might be right around the time that there might be a COVID vaccine. Um, I And I, I'm find it interesting and, and obviously they can't make their plans around that. But if we're getting to that time and that's like more and more accurate, I would hope that they might take that into consideration. Um, so the dates are obviously something interesting. They said Indianapolis, um, which I think is a great place to host it. Quite honestly, uh, I know it's not New York, California, Miami, or even Chicago, but the history behind uh, Indiana, Indiana, Indianapolis's basketball is, is pretty is pretty cool. Um, I think it's a good place to host it. There's a lot of like really big high school gyms in the area that are like honestly kind of bigger than Gentile. 
um, that could host some games. Um, and then, yeah, I just like the overall, the, it's going to be somewhat of a bubble. Like, and, and it's going to be a huge challenge to have 68 teams. I mean, you got just, just like to name a few, like you got, so you got your 12 to 15 roster players. Each, each team will have around five coaches and then, you know, just kind of extra people like your video guys, your, your, maybe your, your grad student assistants, maybe your, your doctors, um, team doctor, like you're getting close to 30 player or 30 people traveling with the team, you know, 30 times 70, let's say for 68 teams that that's immediately like 21 to over 2000 people. Like that's, it's real quick. It adds up real quick. So I don't know. Those are kind of just my initial thoughts, but Lou, why don't you take the, the reins here? What are you thinking about this, uh, this, this idea of a, of a basketball championship in Indianapolis? I, I think they got they got to call the NBA's operations. It, and again, as the NBA definitely had less teams to worry about and maybe less personnel, but I think when it comes to medical staff, you, um, everyone maybe brings a limited amount, and then maybe there's staff on site there that they can coordinate with on stuff. Um, with maybe operations, you, you can't get everyone. There's a reason why you have so many assistant coaches. You might not be able to bring your video guy. Granted, to be honest with you, thank God for uh, for technology because you can literally maybe send it to a guy in Chicago and he can cut the tape and then send it back to you. Uh, it might be unprecedented hours, but these are kind of crazy times. So I, I think they really, if they want to do it right, they got to find the way they really have to put in place restrictions and certain things because one outbreak from a team will go, it would be a domino effect to multiple teams. It's not just one team can just be put away like and just okay you can wait 14 days 14 days is pretty much the tournament nearly if you really think about it, it's only two days per week nearly um so it really i think just for the betterment of the game it'd be better if they think about it right they connect with the nba who did it um just because i think they did it at a level that can be replicated um so it'd be interesting i like the idea of indianapolis they're making it not that everyone's traveling crazy but it's it's been home to a lot of final fours and stuff which has been great uh so yeah i, I would actually though like to see i saw a few coaches mention about may madness kind of getting given the guys extra time to play especially with like things i think may is a suitable option as well i absolutely think that could become a part because how about we just push the start to january you see all these teams if you just start in January and then you just continue on, it gives you time and then you, you're still going to be able to play in May and it gets you the tournament we all want in just a safer and maybe more anti-COVID way. Yeah, I think you're right. I think May Madness, honestly, is is something that should be considered. And I, I know that they, even though they've mentioned March and April, I'm sure they're talking about all the options. I would, I would hope so. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a really cool idea. Um, like you said, they need to reach out to people who have uh, in leagues who have done this successfully, which really at this point is the NBA and maybe the NHL. Um, a little yep. different circumstances with the NHL being in Canada and all. Um, but um, it's exciting. I, I think I just like there's going to be so many different storylines. Um, like I saw one thing, and it's such a, a small thing, but Dayton has held the the first four um the first four games, like the playing games to the tournament for like the past like 20 years. And so it's going to be the first time they don't have something in 20 years, which is kind of cool. You know, there's just going to be all these like little storylines about, about different his, historical 
streaks breaking or new streaks starting or whatever. And it just goes to show that like, it's, it's just like, we're living in history, like even just for sports, like we're, we're living in, in sports history and stuff that's going to be remembered 10 years down from now. Like I'll remember when they had to play all the games in Indianapolis uh, after the year when they couldn't even play a tournament. Um, so it's super cool. I'm glad that they're looking at all their options. It makes me feel a lot better just in general. Like, this this idea is better than what they had historically done for sure. Uh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be expensive. Uh, it's going to be really difficult for for the players and for the staff, um, having to spend a lot of time away from family potentially. Um, but I think a lot of these guys, I, I think all of these players would tell you it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, and they'll do anything for it. Um, so yeah, I think super cool. Something we will definitely keep our eyes on. We'll let you know if we hear anything else on that. Um, but I think we need to move into the uh, the elephant in the room, which is uh, our unfortunate news uh, just today, uh, Monday the 16th, that uh, Loyola's men's basketball team has at least one positive case of COVID. Um, that was today, uh, this morning, maybe around like 10 a.m. Um, I think they sent out an email either to season ticket holders or whoever was subscribed to their email list. I know I got one. Um, so I saw that, like, I want to say it's like 1030. Um, I saw that obviously very bummed, but the way they worded it made it sound like there was one, maybe two positive tests. Uh, later, as I was doing some, some sleuthing, uh, as I normally do on Twitter, I found out that um, the head coach uh, from uh, Duquesne, actually, now I'm looking at it. That tweet is deleted now. Uh, I don't know if we should talk about that, but I, I guess I'll, I'll say what it was. It's there's, there's no way to prove uh, for certain yet. The, the, the Loyalist program has not said anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that tweet's but, gone, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the original tweet, the Duquesne uh, head coach said on a conference call that Loyola had 12 positive cases of COVID. Um, it seems like it seems like it's a situation where someone said something they weren't supposed to or someone reported on something that was supposed to be, you know, not uh, not tagged to the head coach. But as there again, I don't know. I don't know. There's no reason to believe that's entirely true um so i guess take it with a grain of salt i don't know you know there's there hasn't the loyola has said nothing further than what they said at 10 30 uh which was that there was at least one positive case of covid uh, it was 10 14 so super unfortunate um i i had this whole bit that i was going to talk about how I'm, I'm super upset that like obviously okay first and foremost before we talk about anything else whoever has covid whether it's a player, a coach, a staff member, a trainer, team doctor, whatever it is, like we hope that they recover fully. This this virus is no joke. I hope and I pray that every single one of our listeners takes this extremely seriously, wears a mask, whatever. Um, in addition to that, we hope that the the person that does have or persons that has COVID recovers fully, quickly. Hopefully they're asymptomatic. If they're not, hopefully they're getting the treatment that they need. Um, and that they're protecting their friends and family from contracting it as well. Um, be, that being said, one of the things that made me really frustrated is that 
they released this statement, which is super general. Um, it was a fine statement. It's like all the other statements I've seen. But then finding this news on Twitter of 12, um, 12 people um, being in, in the program testing positive for COVID is really frustrating for me as a, as a fan, as a season ticket holder, and an alumni from, from Loyola Chicago. I, I would hope for more um, clarity from the university. Of course, I know that there are certain rules and laws in place that they can't say, you know, Joe Smith got it and such and such didn't get it. Like, I know that we, they can't do that. But being that we're in such a high point of this virus, it would be, I think, helpful for fans and for alumni and, and uh, boosters to know that this is serious. It's affecting, you know, every facet of people's lives. And I feel like they really dropped the ball on that. Um, and it, it's really frustrating for me to find that online on Twitter from a reporter of a head coach of a different team saying that. Like, obviously, that information is being shared by presumably Porter or presumably another coach on the team, someone that is, has this information. So... I'm frustrated. I mean, obviously, I, I want them to be healthy, um, but I, I'm I'm pretty frustrated uh, about how this is being handled. Um, Lou, I, the floor is yours. Let me let me take a breath here. What what do you have about this? Yeah, I think um, I, I think there's just confusion onto what the situation is. I think, but no matter what, it seems like every team is just being cautious, and they're just going to be like, if there's one case, twelve cases, they're just not going to allow like anyone to leave they're gonna all have to be quarantined which makes sense it's tough to see definitely which especially the season supposed to be starting soon um but i think it's just the fact that we see another team or tell us what's going on but again is maybe they just see it as hey we don't have to tell you um how many people got sick we just everyone's shut down so maybe that's just where they're the team's heads are at with all that, which is like tough to swallow just because we as fans want to know everything about the team. And especially it's just so, so close to when the season was supposed to start. Um, so you had teams over the summer, you had teams like what I'm pretty sure at least two Missouri Valley teams are getting back to things uh, this week. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if uh, they had to pause any of their, uh, games or sorry, cancel any of their games, but it's really tough to see a season that was already going to be tough enough to get some games scheduled uh, right now where you've already canceled our uh, at least well, minimum two games, which would have been decent, in my opinion, to uh, two decent uh, non-conference games. So I think it's just really tough. Um, I think I really hope it was just by circumstances of them going to a store or something. I would hate to find out that we find out that this was the reason why they have some people have code is because of a party or something. I think those are the worst situations because they willingly went out of their way um, and didn't follow protocols. So I just hope that everyone was still following protocol and that uh, we want to get a season started at, at, at really at, as soon as possible, but in the safest way possible as well. Yeah. I think some of the other things we have to talk about, um, from everything I've read, a lot of teams, or pretty much every team I've seen who has had even just one positive case, uh, pauses basketball activities for 14 days. So it's two weeks. Um, so assuming it was today or maybe a test from yesterday, um, that would put us at the 29th. 
um, then you have to hope that not only do players, some players have it asymptomatically, others show some symptoms. And some of those players that show symptoms could have a difficult time getting back up to cardio strength. We've seen it with guys in, uh, in college football. For instance, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Clemson's starting quarterback, probably the number one college football player. Um, uh, the ACC made him take a certain amount of time where he couldn't be around the team. But then additionally, he had to take an, an additional like week or 10 days to be able to prove that they, have, they are in uh, good cardio health. I don't know if there's something within NCAA basketball or Missouri Valley Conference where there's that additional time frame where they have to prove that they're in, in good cardio health. But, you know, that, that, that um, extension is there for a reason because some players or some people show cardio effects even after they're, they're done being uh, shedding the virus or, or having symptoms. So, you know, there's 12 cases. We have to, even if there's 10 players, there's probably going to be one or two players that are symptomatic or more, and maybe even someone who has lasting effects uh, and, and might not be able to play for a month or six weeks or something like that. I hope that's not the case. I really don't. But just numbers wise, like it could, that it could very well be the case. So we know that they'll be shut down or paused for 14 days. Um, that obviously is going to cancel our games uh, with Cincinnati and Duquesne. Um, in Indianapolis is where those games are going to be played. As of right now, we have one game. We have one non-conference game against Chicago State. Uh, in I think Porter talked to either like Andy Katz or John Morosi or something and said that um, those two games are going to be canceled. They also had to, to cancel a bye game, uh, a bye-in game against, uh, I didn't say what team, but it was going to be on December 4th. Which is also kind of strange. Um, you know, I know that's it's just outside of the uh, two-week frame uh, that they'll have to pause. So maybe the other team's just being cautious. But also kind of frustrating that we had to find out about a bye game um, from it being canceled. Like, that. Well, how come we didn't know about that? Like, I, it would have been exciting to talk about. Um, but anyway, so now we have one game, one non-conference game. In the tweet, I think Porter, whoever Porter was talking to, uh, they Porter was telling the reporter um, or the, the insider that their their schedule is wide open between like December 13th and December 26th or something like that. That they would play anyone, and that and I, honestly, that's kind of frustrating that Porter has to go through a channel like that to like get the word out. Like I I understand that like scheduling is incredibly difficult just period in college basketball. It's extremely difficult when you're a mid-major coach that has shown success in the playoffs. And then it's even more difficult when you have COVID and you know that scheduling becomes more difficult because of uh, the current state of the world. But I just feel like there's so many weird miscommunications, uh, uh, communication slip-ups, uh, lack of information. Um, it's it's really frustrating for me. I, I know that I've said that word a million times now, but it's very frustrating for me to, uh, as a, as a fan and as a season ticket holder. Um, Lou, you got anything else on, on the whole situation? No, I just, like, I, I, I said this personally to ourselves. I really hope it's not a lack of leadership that it hasn't been pretty much reciprocated to the players um, that, Hey, like this is a serious thing. We have to take this serious because I really hope it doesn't come out 
that. And again, as we probably won't know, because again, as it seems like mm-hmm. everything's kind of hush hush, which is like maybe a, there's a good reason why I don't know. But um, I think the main thing that's just annoying is that I really hope it wasn't something stupid. Uh, I think that's just what we've heard about colleges, what we've kind of seen in the media is that just it hasn't come um, with great, pretty much any great news that when people go to parties that, yeah, something something's going to happen and it's COVID's a real thing. So I really hope it was just by circumstance that one of these guys or according to a tweet 12 people um again is especially if it comes to medical staff maybe they're interacting with multiple players because again as we got soccer we have so again is the the facility i don't know how what the facility is doing maybe that's something the phoenix can look into is is what's the facility um uh really doing to properly kind of take control of what's going on i think that's the the real real question about what's going on yeah i I share your your sentiment like i I also hope it wasn't a leadership issue or a message passed on from what i can tell from what they sent to us everything was our health of our players is the number one priority and you know that's really easy to say it's another thing to do it and obviously that message could possibly have been uh, conveyed better than to the players um yeah i I think um i had one more point uh i otherwise you know 14 days um just like i've been waiting so long and i'm sure a lot of our listeners say feel the exact same way i've been waiting so long for for loyola college basketball uh like i love it like i love i love watching i i don't care i i would take losing to you know um to Chicago State or or the D two team Indianapolis last year, like I I just want games to, to talk about. Like I want to see Cameron Crotwig do his silly reverse drop step under the basket uh, layup. Like, and it's just frustrating that like, and I'm sure the players are frustrated too. I'm sure everyone involved is upset and 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 frustrated. That this is what's happening, um, but I just want to like convey that to the listeners because I'm sure that's how you're feeling too. Is um, that you just want Loyola basketball back, and now we have to wait longer, and now we don't even know when the first game is. Um, there's no date in sight other than Chicago State, which is like what I have, like December 12th or something like that. Um, there's there's no start date yet. Um, so I hope that the communication gets better. I hope that there is some more communication in the coming days, uh, whether that's to give an update on the health of the players or the coaches, or whoever is has tested positive. I hope there is updates about what this means, like forward, and how their protocols have maybe changed, or been updated, or they think they're great, and they're going to stay the same. Um, and then additionally, and, and lastly, I hope that they give us an update on, on what the schedule is going to look like for this year. Um, teams are starting up in, in nine days, so um, it would be really nice to get uh, some sort of communication on on what our schedule looks like. Even if that's to say we have a game against Chicago State, we have a game against Milwaukee, and that's it. Then at least we know. We know that they will be playing 20 games this year, hopefully. You know, there's planned to be 20 games. So um, <laughs> that's that's what I got on that topic. Do you uh, do you want to change it and talk to talk about uh, some Thanksgiving food? Yeah, I, I think I hope. Good. 
I hope that just everyone stays healthy and that we get into schedule and get to play some basketball. But let's let's get into, let's dive in into something that's a little bit more uh, more healthy. Yeah, definitely. Um, the one I want to start with, which is like, I we we came up with just silly lists real quick, and it's the first one on my list. And I always underestimate how good this one is because it's green bean casserole. I don't really, I, I, I'll eat green beans, like straight up, like, you know, you throw some olive oil, a little salt and pepper, put them in the oven. I'll eat those, like, no problem. But it, it's like part of a meal. Green bean casserole is way different. And when I see that at Thanksgiving, you know I am going in with a full spoon, getting the crunchy bits on top, and hopefully there's some of that, like, uh, from the can, like, 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 uh, like gravy almost at the bottom. And I, I plop, sometimes I put, put that, those suckers on top of my mashed potatoes. Sometimes I'll just eat it by itself. But um, green bean casserole, that's, that's, that's up there for me. What yeah, do you think? I, 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 I'm not going to hate on it. I, I definitely have never really had it in my table. Oh, um, no way. Oh, you're, you're, yeah, okay, okay. But um, one thing that's been um, a staple is... Uh, Sweet potato, but I actually, and again, it is pretty much like a dessert. We call it in my house a sweet potato casserole. Mm-hmm. It's got some brown sugar on top. Mm-hmm. And it's got some, like, I think walnuts or something. And you just put it in the oven and it just bakes. And it's just like this really great sweet top to the sweet potatoes. And the sweet potatoes are sweet. So it just really goes well. And it's a nice little kind of like a sweet treat to have as a side. So I think... Sweet have sweet you casserole is something that gets underrated uh, just because it you got the turkey and get the stuffing i think that just is really underrated have you ever done it I, i've seen some people do it with uh, uh marshmallows on top have you ever I, done that my recipe does not call for marshmallows mm-hmm. i have seen it Good. maybe the listeners can let us know if they're I'm, I'm not against it. I'm also not for it just because i haven't really had it i would have to say yeah i so I will eat it if it has marshmallows on top, but it's like way different for me. Then it's like it's like straight up a dessert food because mm. sweet potatoes already are sweet. You add some brown sugar, you know, it's like you're you're encroaching on sweet territory, uh, like dessert territory. But I think like sweet potatoes straight up, like how you described it, super good. I didn't like it until recently. I, I didn't like sweet potatoes until probably like four years ago. Um, I. I grew up like straight up baked potato, mashed potato sort of sort of uh, household, um, and that was what was in front of me. But and then I, as soon as I tried it, I was like, oh okay, like these are pretty good. Um, what do you what do you feel like? So let's let's continue talking about potatoes. So you got your sweet potatoes, you got your mashed potatoes, and then you have uh, my favorite is all gratin potatoes. Um, which if, if, uh, listeners aren't familiar, you kind of like slice it up into circles. Um, and then, uh, I actually don't know how they're cooked. Um, but bake them, bake them. Bake tons of cheese, um, tons of butter for sure. Um, I guess maybe like some sour cream in there to kind of get it like that. Um, like, like that texture, maybe cream cheese instead of sour cream. Um, kind of that, like, uh, I don't know, cheesy texture. Um, but out of those three, I'm going with au gratin because my mom makes a killer au gratin potato. What about you? I'm really, I just, I got to go with another one that's, I think, underrated. And mm. maybe it's because it's a combo that people really, but it's like 
the Brussels sprouts, but hear me now, mm-hmm. with crispy bacon bits. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's roasted Brussels sprouts, crispy bacon bits, and they just go really well together. I'm not, like, a proper chef to know, is it the acidic, but it just is really, really nice. And it's a, it's a nice side to, to have there. I like, I, I do like Brussels sprout with bacon. Uh, I think it's the fat from the bacon, and then you get, like, just a little crispy on the Brussels sprouts. Yeah. It's so good. So yeah. the Brussels sprout, then, in that case, almost practically tastes like bacon. Hey, it's really? fat of a bacon yeah. and it's just crispy. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I like yeah. it. Um, here's one that uh, I think can either be really... I, I, I feel like this can ever be excellent, in my opinion. It can be very good. But I honestly think that this can also be not very good. And that's oh. the, the, the staple of stuffing. I feel like Ooh. some people can do it real wrong. Um, and, and in my opinion, it's where it's either really loose and like um, undercooked. Or the opposite, where it's, like, overcooked. Like, obviously, like, you could do that with all of these recipes. But I feel like I encounter a not-so-good stuffing, like, every other Thanksgiving. And and luckily, my family never brings the stuffing because anything my family cooks is is the best always. Uh, thanks, Mom. Um, but, yeah, I, I do like stuffing. Like, I got nothing wrong with it. Are like, you a, so, so just to clear... So yeah. you you just are you like the box stuffing people if you were to have stuffing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. Okay, no, because there's a in my family there is the debate about the stuffing that goes in the turkey mm-hmm. and then the box stuffing. There is a, there is a divide. There is a there is a line of demarcation between the stuffing lines. I have to I have to admit to that. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I think in my mind the the box stuffing is more consistent. It's not consistently good. It can be consistently average. Where if you put the stuffing in the turkey, you have a way better chance of it being very good. But also, I feel like also a chance of it being not so good. So that yeah, that, that that's true. Yeah, you're very yeah. very true. I do like stuffing though. I mean, I'll take a little bit. I feel like 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 the name. It's very stuffing, very filling. Um, I think there's a lot of other. It does its job. It's, it serves its purpose. And it's it's really good the next day too. Oh, okay, okay, that's yeah. good. That's yeah, good. put a little gravy on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what what do you got next? What's your well, next? What I gotta get I I gotta get this off just to understand is, are you a biscuit or are you a crescent dinner roll person? Ooh. Okay, so I'm gonna throw a wrench in this. My mom makes uh, a homemade uh, like white uh, bread loaf. Um, okay. So. That's I, I mean I. Are we talking about like ciabatta? Are we talking like no, like, just like straight like up sourdough. Just straight up like white bread. Like it's just like, um, just really simple. Like uh, just just regular yeast, um, just regular flour, uh, like what like eggs. So just regular no. bread. Yeah, just straight up bread. But it's like, I don't know. It's just it's so good. Obviously, it's because my mom makes it. It's you know, there's lots of like history behind it. Whatever, um, but. Uh, my brother is actually like the biggest bread fan. He'll just eat like three slices, no butter, nothing. So, okay. but if I had to pick between between dinner roll and crescent roll, definitely crescent roll, like for sure. 100%. Oh, okay, okay, there we go. Yeah, crescent roll. It's a rite of passage when you're growing up in my family. Young kids, they have the job to pop open that crescent roll, lay <laughs> them out, and put them in the oven, and make enough because those things go down pretty much. So fast. It, oh, I don't they, yeah, yeah, those things fly. Exactly. But so, yeah, no, that was just intriguing. I saw that recently. People are like biscuit fans. 
which is fine. A good biscuit's good. I just wanted to see where where we aligned. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think we're pretty pretty close there. Um, so then another one that I have um, is one that I don't think comes every year, but I see it and I like it, and that is uh, a broccoli cheese casserole. Oh, no. It can be, for me, in my household, I've seen it, it can be cold, like almost like a broccoli salad. So you get like, um, like obviously broccoli cheese, um, but sometimes like little, not like shreds of cheese, like mini little cubes of cheese. So like cheddar, provolone, um, and then obviously like some sort of like kind of light vinaigrette dressing, like like almost like a coleslaw type dressing, like that sort of like vinegary um type of uh type of dressing and then my what i don't like it in it which is like a total white person thing to do is to add raisins it Ooh. doesn't ruin it doesn't ruin it but it, it i don't i eat around doesn't them sound like it makes it great though no and then you can get big you can get crazy throw bacon bits in there um i know i'm missing something i, I think uh, we've established that throwing bacon bits into anything just makes it better bacon so for sure. Yeah. So there's, well, yeah, there's no that I would have to say that is not um, I've definitely had I, I believe what potbelly has the the broccoli cheese soup. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I've had that. I've had the broccoli cheese soup. I don't think I've ever had a broccoli cheese casserole, which is interesting. And so there's the cold version. Like I said, there's also like a warm version, which is just like baked broccoli with cheese on top. It's like okay. kind of not the same uh, different experience. But um, I don't. I don't necessarily consider the warm version like a strictly Thanksgiving thing because I'll make like I'll I'll bake broccoli in the oven, throw some cheese on top, and and just have it on a Tuesday night. Um, so that that's one that yeah I think is a little specific to uh, to my household. I feel like. Okay. Uh, do you have any more? Um, I think that might round it out. I think. So- I do have a couple more. Yeah, okay. I have a couple more. So we're just like straight up pasta salads. Like, how do you feel about like? Oh, uh, never seen that at the dinner table. No. Really? More of an appetizer, I'd say. Better. Okay. Like I would say, a big thing in my house we do is like a cheese board. I would say a pasta salad fits Ooh. that cheese board mentality yeah. of an app. Yeah, this we we often will have a uh, both a pasta salad and a potato salad. Um, wow, I don't know about that. And they're Ugh. both cold. Yeah, yeah. Um interesting it depends like i the potato salad for me is not my favorite i'm not gonna lie because I, I i want my potatoes is that in, in general different. sorry or is that just on a thanksgiving table kind of in general kind okay. of in general i feel like there's better ways to to have potatoes than than potato salad um pasta salad for me i, I it can be good i i think it it really depends on the type of pasta you use i like a good like bow tie or rotini um, then you can throw in like, I know some of my pasta salads in my family, there'll be like little bits of meat, like salami or like, um, um, oh my, like prosciutto that's fancier though, but usually salami or like ham. Um, and then like cheese, corn, um, what else goes in there? I don't know. There's some other, there's some other stuff in there, but I, I like a good pasta salad. I don't have anything against pasta salad. Um. So those are, and then and then you got cranberry sauce, which um, I uh, I honestly I had never had like a like a cranberry chutney or a cranberry sauce, never had it until uh, freshman year of college, when me and some of my friends, um, this is gonna sound ridiculous, but I baked 
along with the help of one of my friends, two entire turkeys in the oven in our freshman year dorm room. Um, and then we had like six or eight people come and they all brought something and someone made cranberry sauce on the stove and I had never had it. And honestly, it's okay. Um, it was fun the first time, but, uh, I don't know. It's so sweet and fruity that I feel like it's better served as like a, like a dessert option. Um, but I think it, it serves, it serves a place in Thanksgiving meals. I think some of our listeners would, uh, We'll probably agree with that. Yeah, um, no, I, I definitely think it serves its place. I, I, I'm not saying I love all of it, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely not a hater. Definitely not a hater toward it. So if you had to pick top three, so you got, you know, whatever meat you want. So say like turkey, ham, whatever you, whatever you want. You got your yep. turkey, you got your meat. And then let's say dinner roll included because you got to have dinner roll. You got to have a dinner roll. I like that. I and like then that. gravy is also included. But what are your three sides? that you got to have as well as that plate. I'm definitely going to probably go with, I got to go with um, the, my sweet potato casserole with a little brown sugar on top. Mm-hmm. I would actually pull your, uh, uh, gr- the gratin potatoes. Mm-hmm. So we don't do that, but I'd love some gratin potatoes. I'll pass on, I'll pass on the recipe. And then I got to just do some form of stuffing. It's just like, it's one of those things you got to have in my head when you're mm-hmm. eating the turkey. I think it glows really well. Um, and just, I'm going to sneak, I know it's for, but like a dash, mm-hmm. a dash of cranberry, some type of form of cranberry. Because okay. again, like you said, the stuffing is sometimes so like just not as, it's a little dry. So you just add a little of the sauce to make it a little bit more flavorful. I like that. I like that. Um, so for me, number one, green bean casserole. Like that's my, my for sure number one. Um, after that, definitely au gratin potatoes. Got to be number two. My mom makes killer uh, I'll grab potatoes. And then, um, this is tough. The third one, I'm going to, I'm going to shot in the dark. I'm going to say pasta salad. I don't know why. Maybe it's just cause I want it right now. Um, <laughs> but I I'm, I'm going to throw pasta salad on my plate. I might regret it afterwards, but it's okay. Cause we all know that there's going to be some good dessert, uh, dessert coming for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think we just kind of wanted to <laughs> chat about something that's a little uh, a little more fun to talk about. Um, I hope everyone. I know there's probably there's gonna be one more episode before Thanksgiving, so we'll we'll wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving then. Um, but I hope everyone is staying safe. I hope everyone is able to to communicate with their family, whether it be on Facetime or phone calls or text messages. Um, I know it's a really difficult time for everyone. Uh, you know, for me and Lou included, it's difficult. Um, but uh, there's more hopeful times ahead. Hopefully, there's going to be more basketball ahead. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will obviously be on top of that. Um, but, yeah, uh, Lou, what's what, any last thoughts here? I just hope everyone on the Ramblers stays he- happy and healthy. And same to everyone. Don't get COVID. Be smart. And let's hopefully see basketball very, very soon. Yeah, we, uh, we wish our well wishes to uh, the team uh, and that everyone gets healthy quickly and, uh, and fully. Um, but that's going to do it here uh, from Bucket Lou at Podcast 63. Thank you all for listening. And remember, never forget, go Blairs.